Welcome to another Future Thinking with me, Chris Slowly. After last week's 5G focused chat, we've moved into the wider tech sphere. How much of tech that you've become used to during these unprecedented times will also form part of your daily life in the future? Will tensions between the US and China lead to a two-speed race for technological development? Or will protectionism lead to individual countries branching out on their own? My guest today will help assess and answer some of these queries. I'm joined by Amanda Lyons, Investment Manager at GAM who works across several of the Swiss Group's tech and disruption-focused funds. Amanda, like the majority of you, has adapted to working remotely and believes several trends that we've all become used to will continue. Here she outlines immediate opportunities and her longer-term thinking on all things tech. So we've we've seen a, a huge transition from offline to online in the, well, as you said, the last few months, um, as we've all transitioned to being at home pretty much all of the time. Um, and the transitions have sort of been happening in two areas. One is in your sort of your home lives. And then the other quite a big transition for a lot of people is in their working lives, particularly people have been used to going into an office and commuting every day and being in a very communal environment to suddenly working from their kitchen or their bedroom or their home office or wherever you've had to sort of um, create a place to work from home. And that's been a huge change and one that I don't think is going to be going away post-COVID, whenever that may be. With that, because we have seen a growth of, I mean, this is a virtual meeting and I'm sure you have much more physical meetings. Do you envision a world where these virtual meetings and and the virtual life, so to speak, becomes much more commonplace? Do you think people start to have got used to it over this and find it even harder to go back afterwards? I think it's definitely going to become a lot more normal rather than um, rare, which we'd seen sort of in the past. I mean, there's been a number of surveys that I've seen over the past few weeks that have all implied that firstly, the workforce want to work from home more. So there was a Deutsche Bank survey that said almost 60% of financial um, professionals want to work from home one to three days a week post COVID. Now that that sort of would have been unheard of if you'd had that survey a year ago. Um, And then in other sectors, you're hearing sort of the same thing. But it's one thing to hear it from the employees, but you also need it coming from the companies themselves. And there's been quite a few corporates that have now come out and said that working from home, it may not be standard, but it is certainly going to be an increased part of their strategy going forward. So you had Deutsche Bank saying that they are going to be increasing the amount of remote working because they see it as a long-term cost saving. You've seen companies like Twitter and Square that have said working from home is now part of their permanent solution. Um, And I think Gartner did a study saying that 74% of companies intend to move at least some employees to remote working permanently. So this is a trend that it, to me, it feels like it's here to stay. This is not just the next few months until we get a vaccine. At a personal level, how have you found it? Have you been able to do everything you'd like to do from a remote location? Are there elements that you've missed? Um, I've definitely missed the social elements, but from a purely work perspective, I literally picked my desk up. I always worked from a laptop that was plugged into a big screen, picked it up, brought it home, and my home desk is literally the same as my office desk. Uh, it's just a different different wall to look at and a, and a oh, right. different person I'm working with. Of course. Well, I think we're all finding our, our working, our colleagues, if we're going to call them that, are slightly different. I have a, a face-painted yes. three-year-old that perhaps <laughs> wouldn't be that welcome in city-wise offices on a regular basis, but yeah, I it's have entertaining the for the moment. <laughs> uh, I mean, this this leads to one point because I don't want to oversimplify things, but when I do look at and I talk to people about 
what are going to be the trends and who are going to be the winners. It always comes back to tech. It always comes back to Zoom meetings and remote working is is largely driven by technology. I mean, that's a very simplistic thing to say. But are, are you seeing tech as being the big part? Yeah, I mean, if you were to, if we had had this crisis happen 10 years ago, maybe not even as much as 10 years ago, the ability for people to work from home in the way that they are and to sort of just pick up one day to the next um, from the office environment to the home environment and have pretty um, limited transition issues would have been unheard of, if not impossible. Um, It's things like the move to the cloud that has made it possible. You talk about Zoom, which is obviously the the sort of the poster child of of COVID and has been part certainly part of my daily life and I'm guessing yours as well. But yeah. that's only possible because of improvements that have been made in the cloud and it's companies like Amazon and Microsoft being the two biggest public clouds out there that have made that possible. Um, I think it was quite interesting, Microsoft on their earnings call said they've seen two years of digital transformation in the past two months as companies have realized they've actually got to get on board with this. Sort of the uh, shifting towards a more digital cloud environment may have been something they were considering and doing bit by bit, but this has accelerated that trend. And my view is that that trend just accelerates even further going forward, that the need to have a digital strategy is so much higher up the priority list for pretty much every company that's out there. Um, that, that this is not going away. Are there and, any other sort of? Oh, sorry, sorry, Amanda. No, no, I was just going to finish by saying, and and therefore, I think a lot of these tech names are going to be winners from that because they're they're just pure beneficiaries of that trend. Without getting into specific tech names, are there subsectors that are going to be more um, or better placed than others? Are there going to be? Is it sort of within the wider infrastructure? Because you talk, I spoke to somebody in an episode that hasn't come out yet, who's working within the field of five G. And that seems like that's going to be a huge area that people are aware of vaguely, but they don't know about the the cell towers and all the other sort of uh, infrastructure elements that go into it. So could there be some surprise winners as well? Yeah, I think 5G could be quite an interesting one if we do have a shift to working from home. If you look at the UK as an example, there are still areas that don't have good enough broadband coverage. And that will be a, I, um, I suppose, a challenge for some people in remote, in more remote areas working from home. Obviously, you're in London. If you're working from London, that's not going to be an issue. But if you are somewhere a little bit more remote and you're not able to get online, it's going to be much more of a challenge to work from home. 5G could be the solution for that. But we're still quite a way away from that being sort of standard and good enough proposition for people to shift away from broadband broadband to be able to use 5G effectively in this kind of environment. One thing that I wanted to get into because in in reading for this I saw that you'd um, been involved in writing a note about Go East and and the sort of the regional variations of tech become quite interesting because in the last few years we've seen the rise of the bats as opposed to the fangs and we've seen over this period as well um, I mean, with the U.S. trade, U.S.-China trade tensions, there seems to be a, a splitting between the West and the East more so than, I suppose, going back to the Cold War. Yeah. How much of the tech space will be politicized and how much of it will be split over regional lines? Well, it's quite interesting that within the tech world, there is quite a big split between China and rest of the world. So some of the biggest companies in China, as you were saying, the bats, uh, um, Alibaba's, Tencent, um, Meituan, or in the past, to some extent, Baidu, uh, but basically just operate in China. Now, that's a huge enough market that there's enough opportunity there that you don't have to really look outside of it um, for growth. Um, I think as much as these companies aren't really looking to 
exit or not exit to to look outside of China, or if they are, it's it's very much within Asian countries that are close by. I don't think that's going to change. And if anything, I think the ability for Chinese companies to operate in the West is going to get harder post-COVID rather than easier. And similarly, I think uh, for US companies wanting to break China, which many of them have wanted to and so far have been totally unsuccessful, um, I don't think that's changing anytime soon. That there's ish, there's differences between the two countries in terms of the psyche, the way the consumer works, that um, a Western company trying to operate in China doesn't necessarily get traction. It's not understood by the consumer. In um, And similarly, some of these Chinese names don't necessarily translate well into a Western market. I don't think that necessarily changes. What's interesting for me for China is actually going forward sort of the next phase of development where we're going to look more towards artificial intelligence that's where I think it's going to become very interesting because I think China has an edge over the US there purely because it comes down to data data is the key to AI and uh, the Chinese have slightly uh, I say more fluid rules or uh, views on privacy compared to the West and um, on top of that they they, they have a huge population. So just by the number of people they have in the country, um, they generate so much more data and data is the key to improving AI. So, but we're, we're quite a few way, years away from that becoming um, sort of everyday speak. Well, that's really interesting because I, I mean, it's, it seems a bit naive that I didn't mention in the, the start AI, because that is going to be a huge growth area for tech. And I think we, we talked briefly before the call about disruptive trends and the idea that tech is a, a hotbed for disruption so to speak and I think if I'm right in thinking as well Gao actually renamed one of your tech funds to disruptive growth rather yes, than technology yeah. to try and capture that and how much of disruption will be drawn from areas like AI do you think is that when you think disruption what do you think Oh, I think AI is going to play an incredibly important role in disruption if you are able to um uh, utilize and harness artificial intelligence in any uh, sector don't think about sort of technology in the traditional form of technology you know AI can be applied in sort of in food technology in consumer staples in oil and gas company I mean you name it AI can be applied to improve the functioning of that company um, but it comes down to the data and whoever has the largest data set will then be able to train their AI algorithms better than anybody else. And it gives them that that much more of an advantage. So if we look at the Western companies, you know, the Googles and Facebooks have incredibly huge data sets, some of the biggest data sets in the world, and also have a huge number of engineers specifically working on artificial intelligence. It's likely that they will come out as winners in that space. Similarly, you look in China, you have um, Alibaba in investing in AI, Tencent investing in AI, uh, Baidu, all of those again have huge data sets and arguably much bigger data sets than you have in the Western companies. And they're going to be formidable competitors. When they start ec um, moving away from just their, their base of China and trying to get outside of the Chinese um, world and apply those technologies outside, that's where they could become really quite big competitors to Facebooks and Googles of this world. With that, I think one of the areas that 
interests me as well is the private markets, because a lot of these companies are doing quite disruptive and innovative things, especially around AI, but they're not open to the public. And I remember reading a report that they, they don't largely have to be, because it used to be a company would come to market when they would need a huge cash injection to build a factory or to yeah. somehow leverage some sort of growth. Whereas the, I mean, aside from server farms, there aren't huge overheads in that regard. Is there a fear that a lot of these more disruptive ideas will remain private? Um, you've seen a lot of uh, AI companies be bought up once they get to where they have some interesting technology. They get they tend to get bought and swallowed into your Google, your Facebook, and, and obviously the Chinese names as well. And I, I, I imagine that's going to be the trend going forward. Um, it, there's not that many sort of AI privates that you hear on the radar or coming up as sort of a... Um, uh, an IPO for the public markets anytime soon. We've had certainly in the private markets readily available cash, which, as you've said, has kept these companies private for much longer than would have previously been possible. It's questionable whether that starts to change as we we enter more challenging times due to COVID, um, and maybe that means capital is not quite so easy e easy and readily available as it was before. And maybe we do see things coming a little bit more to the private to the public markets. But I have a feeling before coming to the public markets, it's more likely to get bought by some, one of the bigger guys. I see. So it still could be it be done, but in a different way. So then, if you were holding one of those large public players, you yep. would have some sort of diluted access to them. So I know um, yes. you mentioned that Google got deep mind and of course facebook have got hundreds of people in that field so it yeah. seems like it's an area that is getting financial support but perhaps through a, a way that we haven't seen before yes i think i think that's fair um amanda i was just looking i mean it is called future thinking it is yeah. i mean that's the most vague and open term <laughs> i could come up with to encapsulate a wide array of topics but with regards to technology what do you think is going to set the agenda if we use that future thinking idea what are you going to be thinking about in the near term and the long term when it comes to tech um i suppose in the near term it's um i'm going to be thinking about companies that are benefiting from the these trends that we we're seeing at the moment as i spoke before about the shift to the cloud that that is a trend there's a multi-year trend it's not going away and if anything it's accelerating so i'm looking for companies that are going to benefit from that um in the longer term, um, I suppose I'm looking for things that are going to be more disruptive and 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 change. Um, I suppose things that we do on a regular basis. So things in um, virtual reality. Um, that's a very small topic at the moment, but I think particularly if we do have things happening more from home and working uh, working from home and also people being in a more home environment, virtual reality is going to become more important also in the retail environment. Um, travel is going to be another interesting area that's obviously been hit quite a lot um, recently and is obviously going to struggle over the next few years. I think how that looks like in the future is going to be very interesting. Um, uh, so it's, uh, robotics is probably another area that I think in uh, industrial space, we're going to see more of that and uh, trying to use technology to improve what a human is capable of doing. So I think there's always a fear that um, technology will replace humans. And if we look over the last 150 years, that's, that's something that was sort of spoken about the turn of the last century. Um, 
and it hasn't really happened. We, we, if you ignore the period we're in at the moment, we've had lowest levels of unemployment, yet technology is far more advanced than it was 150 years ago. I think that we can have a lot of improvements in technology that can enhance the way that we work and increase productivity. And hopefully the result of that is that we then improve our quality of life at the same time. So companies that are able to do that and to reduce the cost from a corporate level in the process, to me, are going to be the most interesting. So do you think there'll be less of a Luddite movement? Do you think people will be more embracing of it because it's much more tangible this time around? I think so. I think I mean, I, I think it's pretty hard to live in today's society without embracing technology. And even if you think you're not embracing technology, you probably are without realising it. Um, I certainly think that uh, in the last few months that that has probably been accelerated and people who have maybe been reluctant to use technology or companies that have been reluctant to embrace technology have realized that 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 is not the path that they can go on going forward. They have to adapt and change. Absolutely. I say that as somebody with two phones on my desk, a tablet and speaking off a uh, laptop. So I think tech is <laughs> everywhere. It's encroaching and, it, and it's going to continue to do so. So Amanda, thank you very much for joining me today. My pleasure. Lovely to speak to you. Thank you to Amanda for her insights there. Our next guest is slated to be Tony Darwood of Gresham House as we move from the theoretical world of tech to the harsh reality of real assets. Join me next time to hear more about how tangible investments could be transformed in the future. Music